Let me have you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, it turns out today is a, is a holiday and kind of a holiday, and not the one you're thinking of. I'm not talking about Halloween. Today is a holiday. It's Reformation Day, so happy Reformation Day. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther took his 95 theses and nailed it to the, the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. And that set off the Reformation. And what was, what was rooted in that movement, that God-driven movement, was a recapturing of the gospel and the source for us to know what the gospel is. That you are saved. If you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved by grace alone, not works, uh, through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And we're going to know that by Scripture alone. That's going to be the final clear authority. And so, it's Scripture that gets highlighted. Right? That's, that's what we've got to know um, because the Word is what guides us into truth. Now, some 500 years later, as Martin Luther tapped into that and so many others around the time of the Reformation, we're really just pointing back to Scripture and saying, this is what's got to be at the center of our church, is what Scripture says. It's going to be the true and faithful guide. There's not a man, uh, a woman, any person who's going to be in and of himself or herself a true and faithful guide. We're going to rest on Scripture because it's inspired by God. Okay, it's true. It, it bears His authority. And so that's my ministry. The Word guiding us into truth. How do you know that I'm being faithful? It's the Word guiding us into truth. Now, here's the sort of holiday. It's kind of bad form for me to bring this up. Um, you know, it's, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. It's sort of bad. It's, it's like bad form for me to put on my own appreciation. Um, but if you're wondering, like, well, what is this guy? And I, I think it's not like a real holiday. I'd never heard of Pastor Appreciation until I became a pastor. And somebody about, I don't know, I was probably 7, 10, 12 years in, somebody said, hey, pastor, you know, happy, you know, pastor appreciation. And I'm like, happy what? You know, I'd never heard of it. So I do think it's kind of made up, but I appreciate it. Uh, I didn't realize the lobbying power of pastors was so incredibly strong that we'd get a whole month, um, if that's what it is. But anyway, if you were to ask me, thanks for asking, what do you want you know, do you want a million dollars? Do you want a mansion? Do you want, um, you know, a book writing deal? What do you want? And the reality is that you've been great. Uh, I love this church. I love you. You've seen me through some difficult struggles in my life, some recently. Proud of you. You have a desire for the Word, um, supporting gospel ministry here in our state and beyond. So, I'm content, but there is something I still want from you. Um, I want you to pray for me, and I want you to pray for Brad, and I want you to pray for any other pastor elder who would come up. So, put it like this. If you were to take a survey and, and, and have somebody say, list all the attributes that you want in a pastor elder, what would those qualities be for you? You know, would it be, you know, like... Uh, would it be somebody super handsome, uh, somebody energetic, funny, inspiring, 
passionate. You know, we want somebody who's seasoned, who knows what he's doing. We want somebody who's young, who's got a lot of energy or whatever. What would it be for you whenever you're just thinking about your preferences? I mean, if you were just to do a survey of what does my ideal pastor elder look like? Um, and, you know, let me apologize up front, right? The better question, though, is how would your list compare with what the Bible says? 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and maybe even a better question, or at least one that matches it, how would my life match those qualities? How would Brad's life match those qualities? Anybody else who comes on to be an elder, I want you to pray uh, for me. I want you to pray for Brad. I'm going to give you five things this morning. Now, one of the things before we read the passage that I want you to know about it is to frame it. This is a letter written to Timothy. But it's said in Ephesus. Timothy's in Ephesus. He's leading the church there, and Ephesus has problems. You know, it's not unique. It's an important insight. Churches are not places immune from problems, even big ones. Pastors are not people immune from problems, even big ones. And so the list in 1 Timothy 3 should be, in, be seen in light of the Ephesian situation. It didn't occur in a vacuum. If you remember Paul had his conversation with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. We recently covered that. And he pointed out, listen, some of you are going to emerge. You're leaders in the church now, and you're doing a great job. But you're going to emerge, and you're going to get more influence, and you're going to twist off, and you're going you're to demand a following for yourself and for your own glory. So leaders in the church in Ephesus, that's exactly what happened. They've emerged, and they are ex the exact opposite of what the church needs. And they are the exact opposite of what honors Christ. There's a very good commentator, a guy named William Mounts, who talks about the list we're going to look at here. And he says, this helps us understand it, almost every quality Paul specifies here in 1 Timothy 3 has its negative counterpart in the Ephesian opponents. In other words, this is kind of an ad hoc list. When Paul is writing Timothy, like, how do you deal with this? What's going on in Ephesus? And their greatest problem is not the congregation. It's, it's some bad leaders who have emerged and have influence and the effect that that's having on the congregation. What do you do about that? These kind of rivals to the real gospel ministry. So this is an ad hoc list. It's not exhaustive. It's tailored to the problem in Ephesus. And yet, it's applicable to all generations, including ours. It's inspired by the Lord. So it'll help us to understand their situation, but we also really need to apply it to ours. And whenever you look at it, you'd be like, yeah, I need to pray for Stacy. I need to pray for Brad. I need to pray for our leaders. So let's walk through it together. This is 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word. The saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he, may, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, 
so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Again, this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, to uh, the end that we've opened your word, help us to understand it well, help us to apply it well. Thank you for the, the privilege of pastoring for these years that I have. Um, I ask that you bless this church uh, with good leadership, with word-driven, gospel-centered leadership, so that we're all better for Jesus and that we represent him well in a world uh, that desperately needs him. And so be glorified in what we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I ask for prayer. Pray for me, pray for Brad, Pastor Elder, anyone else who comes into this position. I'm going to ask you to do five things, and we'll just do it, base it on the word here. So what's, what are those five things out of 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7? Well, the first is pray that we'll all appreciate the importance of the pastor's ministry. See this right in verse 1 where he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So Interesting. It's an important job. So when he talks about the office of overseer, you just need to know that in the church, there are really two offices. There's, uh, there's one that's sort of that leading ministry, overseer, pastor, shepherd, elder. Um, and then there's deacon. And uh, there's authority there. He's, he's referring to an office that is a top leader in the church. Qualification. He is not the head of the church. I am not the head of the church. The head of the church is Jesus. I mean, if you're just doing a comparison... Uh, let's just give me the benefit of the doubt and say I'm, I'm like, you know, really mature, really embody everything that you would want in a godly man. If you're comparing me to Jesus, I'm not a close second. Okay, the head of the church is Jesus. He, it is his church. It is bought. We are bought with his blood. He's the one who's done the work necessary. He has the authority necessary, the wisdom and power. And I don't. I'm simply an under-shepherd who's a fellow sinner saved by grace and a messenger, a word broker. I simply have a particular ministry in the body as part of the body. Does it make sense? Jesus is the head of the church. The elder is just simply a leader in that church. Somebody who's been given that task. Not the head. It's actually not even the person. It's actually the ministry. Whenever you look at that, uh, out of the tradition of, of churches like Baptist churches, sometimes a guy in my spot would get ordained, and people would just go like, oh, that guy's a... You know, he's a special holy man of God because, you know, he's ordained. This, honestly, this office is a ministry. It's a position of function. How do you, somebody needs to operate as an elder, uh, shepherding and serving in the body uh, that way. It's not a title. And so somebody in my shoes, as an as a overseer, is not a king. It's more like a Nehemiah or a Nehemiah-Ezra hybrid, if that makes sense. Notice also, there's a little word there. It says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. It's the idea that this isn't, you know, uh, somebody who's got a certain lineage or uh, it's, it's actually open to all classes and professions. Another thing to observe, somebody who aspires to it uh, and desires, you know, he says, if, look, if you aspire to this, you should know that you desire a no, what you desire is a noble task. This is a ministry where somebody needs to want it. Right? You need to have a desire for it. It's, it's different. We shouldn't look around and say, well, look at this guy. He's really talented and he's really godly. Um, but the guy goes, I have zero desire to do that. Now, he, he may or may not be right 
in that desire, but it's not, in that sense, it's not a ministry of compulsion. It's something that he willingly wants to do. He aspires to it. Also notice this. It's a noble task. It's a good work. It's an important job. Uh, but it's work. Uh, it's something that costs you something. It's important. Now, why is it important? So Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they're watching over your souls. That. It's an important job. Pray that we'll all appreciate that. We're, we're always a better church uh, when the congregation appreciates this ministry and when the pastors who engage it appreciate this ministry. It's a great work. It's an important work. It's a, I'm honored to do it. Brad is honored to do it. But pray for that. Pray that we'll all value it in its proper place. Second thing, um, pray that I'll grow in character. Uh, verses 2 and 3. I, I, I want to be a man of character. I've got holes in my game. I've grown over the last 20 years. Uh, it turns out I've still got growing to do. Um, I, you know, it's an incomplete work. But, but this is a ministry, if you look at verses 2 and 3, that, that calls for character. It's a job where bad character is out of place. Verses, just compare this. Somebody who's an athlete or a sports agent or an attorney or a politician or a Wall Street broker or a doctor or somebody like that, you're not paying them to be angels. It's, it's, it's better if Charles Barkley is an angel. You know, he's the one who famously or infamously said, um, you know, I'm not a role model. Uh, it's probably better if he's something like an angel, but, you know, that's, they were actually paying him to be really good at basketball. Ministry is different than that. The, 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 you know, there's a dude, and that dude makes declarations. And the declarations and the dude need to match up. Right? I'm not perfection. That, that's not what we're talking about. But somebody who's accountable to the message he preaches. That he represents that and he's committed to it. Now keep in mind that part of what Paul is doing here is he's answering a problem. There are these leaders who have emerged in Ephesus, in the church in Ephesus. And they're problem guys. They're, they're the exact opposite of what you would want leading a church. They don't honor Jesus. And so with that in mind, what does he say? And at the beginning of verse 2, an overseer, an overseer must be above reproach. Now that's the most broad thing he's going to say. Almost everything that follows is basically a description of that. So he's, he's basically saying, hey... What we're finding, I mean, didn't say hey, but I mean, what we're finding with these bad leaders in Ephesus is that they're dragging the reputation of the church down and the message of the gospel down because of their bad character. The way they live undermines the gospel we preach. And so somebody who leads has got to be somebody who is above reproach. Um, here's what a man ought, of God ought to be. And basically it means that he deserves to be well thought of. Not as somebody who's perfect, but as somebody who's accountable to the message he preaches. So, let's look at the rest of the list. He follows that up and he says he, he needs to be the husband of one wife. Well, what do you think the, the bad leaders in Ephesus are? They're sexually uh, promiscuous. What this literally means is a one-woman man. Somebody who's a pastor elder uh, ought to love and be devoted to if he's married, his wife, he ought to be somebody who's sexually pure. Nobody else. Sober-minded. Clear. Um, 
clear uh, thinking that's not ruled by something that will ruin clear thinking, like passion or anger or alcohol or whatever. Somebody who's self-controlled. He needs to be somebody who can manage himself versus his appetites managing him. You know, what bosses you around? Is it what's true? Is it what's, what values you? Or is it your appetites? You know, is it your, your pressures? Somebody who's respectable. I mean, you could say this in the negative. He's not someone who carries himself in such a way that it would be impossible for you to respect him. Uh, hospitable. This seems to be pretty tailored to their setting uh, in the sense that they had itinerant teachers that, who would come through. And somebody who was an elder uh, needed to be somebody who was willing to uh, have people in his home and, and care for them and support their ministry. I mean, I think that's still, in principle, true. Don't get me wrong, but broadly, he's talking about somebody who's got a spirit who's uh, broadly... I mean, keep in mind, let's just say that you're the regular preacher-teacher guy, and there, there are other guys who have a ministry, and they come in, and wh- what if the guy who comes in is a better preacher-teacher guy than me? I mean, do you think I'd like to give him my spare bedroom? You know, I mean, people will talk, right? Man, this guy preaches so well or whatever, right? And he's saying like, no, you're not, you're not driven by that kind of competition or jealousy or threat or anything like that. Where there's an opportunity, you would receive that person as a brother who can build into the same people of God owned, uh, bought by Jesus and build them up and make them better for Jesus, for the glory of God, Right? So broadly, he's talking about being receptive and welcoming and not creating a super class or carving out your own place for power. And also broadly, putting your, personally, putting your life behind the gospel work. In other words, whatever else this might be, it might be a job for me. You know, I'm a staff elder. I get paid to do this job. It might be a job for me, but it's more than a job, right? It is a personal calling where my life belongs to Jesus and I'm, I'm at his bidding. Um, able to teach, we'll get to that later. Pop down to verse 3. Uh, always thought this was pretty funny, not a drunkard. It seems like a pretty low threshold. You know, like somebody who's just sauced all the time uh, probably isn't going to be a great uh, administry. But it, but it means that alcohol isn't his boss or his chief advisor or his best friend who's a bad influence on him. You know, that's not the place of alcohol in his life. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. You put those together, he's not somebody, he's somebody who can stand up, not somebody who's perfect, he's not a herder of people, but a helper of people, and again, he's not somebody who's looking for a fight, but he is, he does need to take the necessary stands there. And then finally, not a lover of money. Money is not why he's in the position, right? A person shouldn't be drawn to ministry because he thinks that's where he'll get the most influence or the most power or be able to work things out for his, most, or his own benefit, um, including salary. So you put all of that list together. That's the longest one. And one of the things that you find, if this is the case, that an elder is somebody who's a really normal person. In other words, I, like I did, I opened the pack. There isn't like, there's the regular Christian pack that you get, and then you don't get like a special pastor pack that whatever you, you know, you lowly people have to deal with and all the pressures you have to deal with. As a pastor, you open the super pack, and you're like, that stuff is easy for me. Right? What you find with the elder is he's such a normal person that things like alcohol, sex, money, ambition, and power can affect him as well. The difference is 
As really, there should be no difference. Everybody, the list that you look here, is pretty representative of what a regular Christian should be, right? We should all aspire to that. It's just that an elder is somebody who maturely embodies that. Not perfectly, but maturely. Those things, he doesn't allow himself to become enslaved to those. He stays at the calling to be a shepherd of God's people. So, there's always room to grow. I still, I promise you, I have room to grow. Pray that I'll grow in character. Um, Third thing, pray that I will have a heart for the people I lead. Probably better yet, this is probably more reflective of it. Pray that I lead well. Pray that Brad leads well. Uh, This is given the situation. There are times where you've got to stand up. There are times you invest. There are times that you're patient. There are times you have to own it and repent and say, look, I I missed it here or I blew it here. I need to say I'm sorry. Um, But it is a job. It is a function, it is a task that demands relational leadership. You lead in part based on ability. You lead in part based on shared truth, like we all believe this. But you lead in part based on our personal connections. Right? We care about each other, we're family. Um, now, note, Paul had really close relationships that broke down. The question isn't, does this guy have a perfect track record? The question is, why and how did he deal with them? So look at verses 4 and 5. And what he does here is he says, look at how a guy manages his household. And if he manages that well, then that's the kind of quality um, that we want leading in the broader church. So in verses 4 and 5, it says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So he's talking about younger kids there. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So there's a requirement, do a good job at home. What it looks like, he loves his family, he leads them well, he's not negligent, he's not a dictator. Um, You know, the trajectory is right, and the reason is if he can't manage his small family, how can he manage God's big family? And so how do you look at this? Well, you look at his situation, and how is he handling that? What if he's got an easy situation? Is he a good steward of that? What if he's got a difficult situation? Is he handling that the way you would want him to handle that, right? But what you look for is somebody who's a good leader, whether it's easy or hard, and see what kind of a steward he is of that. Pray that I'll lead well. Pray that I'll have a heart to love people. Listen, being a pastor is a call to love all kinds of people. All right? It's a, it's a call to love people who are super easy to love. You know, immediately everybody thought, oh, Miss Gale, right? Um, but it's a, it's a call to love people who are super easy to love. And it's a call to love people who sometimes are difficult to love. And that's just the reality, right? And you know what's interesting? If you, stay, if you stay in a place long enough, some of the people who are hard to love early become easy to love later. It's as though God at work in our lives can change all of us, grow us up, mature us to the glory of Jesus, to, uh, to his image. It's awesome to watch. Um, Number four, uh, we'll go back to verse two. Pray that I'll preach better, right? Win-win. This is, uh, you notice in verse two, it's the one kind of skill that's there, but it is a skill requirement. It says this guy needs to be somebody who is able to teach. You also find this in Titus one, you know, somebody who can uh, teach and, uh, and defend sound biblical doctrine. 
requires skill. You can't preach and teach. You can't do this. You can't have an, an elder who's a great guy, a mature guy, but can't actually handle God's Word. He might, he might have a, a different role in the church. We all should have a role in the church. But not this. This is a requirement. And I think the reason for that is teaching in a New Testament church is authority. Right? What are we doing? We are submitting ourselves to God's Word. How do we learn, grow, and get direction? We're going to get that from God's Word. So somebody who's going to lead in that needs to be somebody who's good uh, with the Word. It has to happen in our lives. And in our lives as church members and followers of Jesus. That um, we need to hear and understand God's Word. So on a regular basis, on a steady state basis... I probably don't do anything more important with my time than get ready for this time because of what we're doing. Some days I, I feel great, you know. I always just try to put the ball in play. I mean, I know Brad talked about football. Fall is also a time for finishing up baseball, right? we got the World Series on, stuff like that. Um, but I always just try to put the ball in play knowing that there are times maybe I'm, I'm dealing with a topic that's right in my wheelhouse. I'm really, really comfortable with it. I feel like I'm doing a good job with it, you know, measured up to my ability, and, uh, you know, feel good. And there are other times I'm dealing with something I just I don't feel as adequate about. But you know what? The cool thing is if I step back and I go, I'm really not that big of a deal. This is God's Word. And if I just handle God's Word pretty well, uh, it's going to be good. Right? It's God's Word, so I don't have to be great. I want to be great at it, but if it's God's Word, if you have ears to hear and I'm faithful to share it, then we all benefit. But the reality is, if this is here, and it's so important, and it's the time that we're all gathered together as the big church, um, as, the, you know, as, the, as the big family gathering, praying that I preach better is a win-win. Now, you know, I, I look at different things like that. I... I like, I hear guys on the internet, too, and some of them are great preachers. You know, you might have a guy who's, uh, like, your favorite preacher. He sounds great, you know, he's whatever that early list was. He checks all the boxes for you. And I listen to those guys, too, sometimes. I, I admire some of those guys and all of that. But you know what? I am not a steward of anybody else's gifting. I'm a steward of my gifting and my ministry here my calling before the Lord Jesus to you. That's what I'm a steward of, and I want to cultivate that, and I want to be the best at it that I can. I'm encouraged to stay sharp if I'm preaching well. Um, you're growing under the teaching ministry if I'm preaching well and teaching well, and Brad is. Um, the one prerequisite to this, for us to be blessed by it, we all have to value it. We all have to come and say, listen, if we're going to be informed and shaped, we have to have God's word. Remember when Jesus, there's no better teacher than Jesus. And Jesus um, is teaching and preaching everywhere he goes, but he would use this little phrase every once in a while. He would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if you're going to get a lot out of Scripture, better value it, right? I, I noticed this a long time ago. To people who have a hunger for the Word, it turns out I'm not a bad preacher, to people who don't have any kind of spiritual appetite at all, I'm the worst preacher they've ever heard sometimes, you know. Uh, it's just the way it goes. Pray that I'll preach better. Uh, we'll, we'll all win out of that. And fifth, um, pray for my protection. And two verses. Now, if you look at verses 
4 through 5, and then 6 through 7, 6 and 7. What he does there is he goes from that list in verses 2 and 3, and he does this other thing. He gives a requirement and uh, gives the reason for it and those. You know, he did it with the family. So basically, hey, let's, let's take this kind of influence and let's project it to the bigger family. He does the same in verses 6 and 7. In verse 6 is the first one, and they're both tied to the devil. He says, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So what's the requirement here? Whoever else this leader is, he can't be a new believer. Even if he's super talented and he's on fire for Jesus and all that. And the reason is, in his newness, he could get puffed up with conceit and, you know, in that sin, fall just like Satan did. Right? You know, this, it turns out that this is kind of a, a ministry fraught with difficulty. You could slip into the exact same kind of sin that Satan did in your own pride and self-importance. Puffing yourself up, wanting to be somebody that people follow. Verse 7. Moreover, in other words, one more thing about this. He must be well thought of by outsiders. And again, there's the above reproach thing. Somebody who deserves to be well thought of. Um, A life that doesn't discredit the, the, the gospel. Now, why? So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Right? The reason that he needs to be above reproach and not have a life that discredits the gospel is that if he's not, he's going to fall into this trap set by Satan and in the eyes of people looking in, smear the gospel uh, with his bad character and it, and it loses credibility in that area because of him. So get this. A pastor is somebody who can be, on the one hand, he's called to be strong and lead. And on the other, he's someone who's in a position that, that makes him very vulnerable. Um, he's vulnerable to the sin of Satan and to the snares of Satan. So pray. You know, will you pray for these uh, five things as you think about them? There's, uh, you know, you, uh, you talked about the, the reputation and what the guy does with it and that sort of thing. Uh, one of the things about being a pastor it's sort of an interesting thing to consider. I had, had a friend, he's a different theology and all of that, but he, he, was, he was in the ministry in a whole different uh, liberal branch of, of, of a different church. And he said, you know, pastors are local celebrities. And what he meant by that is that it's really easy to have an opinion on what the pastor is and how he does it and who is he and evaluate him and all that stuff. And he's right. So the, the easiest thing in the world to do is to look at a guy in my spot and either rank him you know, way up here like there's Jesus and then there's this guy and see this imaginary Shekinah glory kind of shining behind him or go, you know, be overly critical. And the reality is you ought to just see a brother in Christ who has a particular calling, does have authority to lead, but that's under the authority of the congregation at large and ultimately under the uh, of Jesus and just pray for him and want his growth and to share that growth with him. There's a, I want to end this way as I ask you to pray for these five things for me, for Brad and any other elder who comes up. In terms of pastor appreciation, a word-driven ministry out of Reformation Sunday. Proverbs 22:29 is a proverb that I'd read lots before, but you know, Proverbs is one of those books, it's really hard just to read it chapter by chapter 
Because, you know, you get these little short, pithy sayings. And what you find is that you sort of, I don't know if you do this, but I do. You could read it maybe dozens of times, but find yourself not really registering it. For whatever reason, Proverbs 22, 29 is one that, I, that stuck lately, uh, recently. And says this, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will not stand before obscure men. He will stand before kings. Uh, or vice versa. And it, what he's saying is somebody who's good at what he does, uh, he's, he's going to get more influence and more notoriety and, and more opportunities and that sort of thing. So if he's not skilled, he's going to be before obscure, obscure men. And if he is skilled, what you're going to find just as a natural tendency is that uh, he's going to be honored to serve in these kind of strategic places. He's going to stand before kings. I just want you to know this. Over the years, I've done this 20 plus years, I've had opportunities to go other places and I mean, they didn't know what they were asking probably, but I've had opportunities, right? People would come, hey, would you come here? Sometimes good opportunities, sometimes that, you know, not opportunities, not every opportunity is an opportunity, but I've had, I've had churches call and ministries call and that sort of thing over the years. And um, I don't know that I've ever one time seriously considered going uh, when somebody called. There were times I was in a bad place and, uh, you know, that it was difficult in life. You know, the congregation's difficult. I'm, I'm maybe not in a good place and I would most want to leave. And that's not when anybody called. You know, that's where the Lord Jesus spares me or whatever. But over the years, I've had that, never really seriously considered going anywhere else. And I'll, t- I'll just tell you why. See a man skillful in his work? I'm doing the best I can. I'd like to get better. I'd like to be really good at it. But you're my kings. Uh, love you. I'm honored to serve here. Um, one of the greatest gifts in my life is what the Lord has called me to here. And there's nothing better for you than to know Jesus and to flourish in your life and to follow him. And I get the honor of just being able to jump in and be part of that. So thank you for that. I, I love the honor of doing that. So do me a favor and pray for me. Okay, let's pray. Father, you're so good. Uh, I pray for me. I pray, pray for Brad. I pray for every uh, leader in our congregation that when it comes to these strategic ministries that the Lord Jesus has set out, um, that we'll all appreciate it and that we'll all be blessed by it. Protect us spiritually. Um, help us to grow in it. Help us to be men of character. Help us, give us a heart to, to love and lead well the people that you've called us to. And Lord, we just pray that you bless the ministry here and bless the people in it that will be better for Jesus because we're in each other's lives. We pray that you do that for our good and for our joy and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.